Earners, what's going on? Listen, EYLU is relaunching, revamping, retooling. That's right, we're creating a new educational experience that's more expansive. Shari, tell me what we got. Yes, 2023. We got a lot in store, a lot planned for you guys. So you know that EYLU already includes monthly financial planning calls with me, book club calls with Troy, real estate calls with MG the Mortgage Guy, access to the home buying blueprint, volume one and volume two. Part of the revamp will include 27 local chapters from across the United States, live interactive teaching, hands-on, not just pre-recorded videos, plus 15 brand new curriculums. The biggest just got bigger. Head over to EYLUniversity.com. That's E-Y-L-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. See you there. Earners, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters can strain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content. Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no ads, no data selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top rated financial personal app. And right now, get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash leisure. That's M-O-N a-r-c-h-m-o-n-e-y dot com slash leisure for your extended 30-day free trial earners what's up look as an entrepreneur the dream is to earn a living doing what you love but let's face it turning that dream into reality is no small feat that's where kajabi steps in transforming challenges into opportunities i've been there juggling every aspect of my business wishing for a simpler way to diversify revenue and grow my brand. Then Kajabi changed the game. It's an all-in-one platform that empowered me to not just build, but thrive. With Kajabi, creating online courses, membership sites, and more became not just possible, but easy. And the best part? I kept 100% of what I earned, thanks to Kajabi's no-commission policy. But Kajabi isn't just about tools. It's about building a profitable business with the support of robust analytics easy payment options, and customizable templates, 
all without needing a huge team or audience. Join me and thousands of entrepreneurs making six or seven figures on Kajabi, regardless of your audience size. If you're ready to turn your passion into profit, Kajabi is your next step to success. So what are you waiting for? Build, grow, and keep what you earn with Kajabi. Start your journey today. And right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash earn. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash earn. Kajabi.com slash earn. And join the entrepreneurs and creators who've made over $6 billion. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over there now. All right, guys. Welcome back, KYL. We're back home. It's been a minute. For sure. (laughs) This is... uh going to be a very educational episode back to the original roots um we kind of like dive into professions and really you know learn about the people that's in the profession but even more importantly learn about the in and outs and the inner workings of said craft so this is extremely important especially when you look at you know the space that we're in Mm -hmm. um you got to have a lawyer so more important is lawyer fees (laughs) (laughs) you heard jay gotta have it so Amy Orefo um, is our entertainment lawyer. We have a few different lawyers yes. um, for you know different things, but the entertainment lawyer would usually negotiate contracts or at least read over a contract, see if anything is wrong or if something needs to be added. They be playing. Yeah. <laughs> they be careful of they because they. they play a lot. Yeah, that's why it's important. So I mean, even if you look at the um, you know a lot of musical artists, different things in each they say that they you know they were happy about their deal that they got or yeah. they felt like they got shortchanged. Uh, that falls on the on the on attorney's behalf because it's the attorney's job to advocate for the client, even if they're not one hundred percent educated themselves on what to ask for. They have to enlighten them. Like, well, I think this is a good idea. Ultimately, it's the client's decision to do what they want to do, but at least educate them on like you know what is best practices, what's advisable, what is um you know industry standard, different things of that nature. So, Amy has been our lawyer for a few years um, and worked with us, you know, on a variety of different things that we have or dealing with corporates, dealing with different, you know, sponsorships, dealing with different brand partnerships, different things of that nature. So I thought it'd be a dope conversation to have mm-hmm. about your, your career path, but also about just the industry period as far as, you know, entertainment law and law and contracts. And, you know, now we're in the age of AI and different things yeah. of that nature. So, you know, it's a lot, a lot to talk about. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. What a blessing to be with um my guys, as I affectionately call you all. Y'all know that. <laughs> for sure. So thank you and thank you. <laughs> sure. So, all right. So let's get into this. How do you start as an entertainment? Like, what's your journey to actually becoming an entertainment lawyer? Yeah. So first, I got to start by saying this because origin stories are massive to me. I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. You may say, what does that have to do with it? Um, I came up in the arts. I was a trained dancer, which many of my clients, like you all may not know that until now. Um, So I was an artist. Just when you think you know a person. (laughs) (laughs) So I was an artist. So I did that for 16 years of my life. And I wanted, if I had it my way, I would have danced for Ailey. Like I had this planned out, you all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a dance major. It's gonna do that for X amount of years. Your body gives you a good maybe five, seven years to do that. And then um, nobody, I have no lawyers in my family. So I was like, oh, this law thing I heard, you know, I'm the youngest of five kids. They said I was argumentative, a little bossy. So, hey, lawyer, okay, keep that in the back of my mind. So I tried out in college for dance programs, did not get in. 
So I was like, okay, God, I'm 18. There's other goals here, but how can I get myself close to my creatives, as I call it? Because if I'm not doing it, I need to be around it. It's my lifeline. Mm. So that was my start of deciding like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I need to do entertainment law. Okay. So, um, and then you always, because you have your own practice, independent. Yes. Mm -hmm. You were always independent or you worked for a, a major firm at one point? So I came out of law school. I worked in-house for a tech company. What school did you go to? Yeah. Oh, I went to UNC Chapel Hill. I'm a Tar Hill, Carolina. Okay. Um, undergrad oh, okay. and then North Carolina Central for law school. Um, and I, I love the juxtaposition of the two because I went to predominantly white university and historically black college. So I just think you know, the way God has always aligned things for me, it's never been linear and it's allowed me to have different experiences so I can be in different rooms and how to relate to different people. So that's first. I did all my school in North Carolina because, sorry, I got to brag on my state. We have really dope universities. So there was no reason for me to leave. Um, went to law school after my first year. I worked in-house counsel at a tech company. It was at the time it's called SAS Institute. It was the world's largest privately held tech company. Nowhere closer to entertainment. Mm -hmm. But then the recession happened. I graduated from law school during the recession. It's very important to say because it was a pivot for a lot of people. There are some of my colleagues who graduated from law school, didn't get a legal job for three years. So I went, was in-house, um, never a perfect time to take a risk. And I said, I'm going to move to Atlanta and New York. New York was on the top of my mind. I interned in New York, you all. So all these interns and these people that got these stories, y'all don't understand. Because I had to commute from Hillside, New Jersey to catch a bus, to catch the path, to go to World Trade Center, to walk to Fulton Street for my internship in South Street Seaport 15 years ago. So I started out with the entertainment law firm. I was like, I got to do this. Again, it's important for me to say I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, because a lot of those opportunities don't come that way. You got to go find it. You got to go seek it. And so I went back to Durham, North Carolina to go to law school, having this in my mind, like I can't do anything else. And then just building relationships. It doesn't start when you get out. It starts when you're in school. Does that does that relationship building start as an intern? Because a lot of us know what it's to intern to do in some professions. You, you hear about it. You hear about it in music. Yeah. I, I work my way up at the ladder. What was the life of an intern like inside of a law field? <laughs> it was everything you hear about in the labels and everything else. Uh, you're doing the grunt work. I was faxing, grabbing coffee, doing whatever you might be like, I'm in law school, nobody cares about that. <laughs> like, you know, you're doing, you're going there. But what it exposed me to um, is I got to go inside of Sony. I got to go and spend a day there. Like I'm in New York in the thick of things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got to meet with A&R and record execs. I got to tour Warner's building. So it allows you to see what the inner workings are and like they say how the sausage is made right in there and you take that and for me it helps me protect the people i'm supposed to protect everybody's creative process is different but a lot of times with somebody like me who's a true creative and i hope it even shows up in what i do with you all yes i have four cor corners of the document but we figure out different ways to get to the finish line yeah. that's where the creativity comes so it's just bringing that and i always um you all know I use this word a lot, context. <laughs> so I'm always like, well, I want context, guys, because it helps me. I want, like you said, ultimately it's your decision, but I want us to get to the finish line in a way that feels the best for you. Now we know sometimes, we know the nature of compromise, we're gonna compromise, but we're gonna get there as happy as possible. So that's what it really teaches you. You watch people, you have to do the grunt work to appreciate the deals that come later down the line. Yeah. I did it all, like I had to go fetch things for people and do this and sit. And then one day an agreement's put in front of you, hey, you need to mark that up and redline it. And it's a producer agreement with somebody who needs to make real money. And have yeah. you been paying attention? I, I asked that question because we, we uh, went to speak back to uh, our program that we originally started in. 
and uh, there was a young lady who was mm -hmm. at a at a law firm, and she was like, "It's so boring. They have me filing papers." <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "It's the experience. It's yeah. experience." So to hear you go through college, go to uh, grad school, law, uh, law school, mm -hmm. and to still have these things, it's like, yeah, you're getting this at 14. Oh, yeah. You actually went to college and go through it. Yeah. Talk about the relationship part, though. As you're going in these rooms, you're not just you're not just observing, yeah. right? You're you're building connections Absolutely. here. Yeah? You're built. You're adding value. I always tell people, it's like add value wherever you are. Like, what does that mean? Shut up, get the coffee. I mean, sorry, I'm gonna be a little transparent here. I'm like, flashback. They know me, so y'all know. Like, it's go. Just put your head down to do the work. We came from that school of thought. We came from that generation. Like, do the work. The other stuff will come. So it's not having a sense of entitlement. Um, you know, like, and it's important for me to say my culture. I'm first generation American. I'm Nigerian. So I was very much raised with a level of sort of reverence, meekness. But, you know, you got older, you got to be a little bit like, but everything was yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. Um, but do that, be respectful, but still build your own sort of boldness. So that's what I, that work ethic was in me. It was like, okay, something's asked of you, do it. 150%, not 100. Mm. So if I'm going to fax those papers, I'm going to run and get your lunch. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to have it back on time. Or if there's a miscommunication, I'm going to communicate that to you, all of that. So then you're given the bigger responsibilities, which is what happened to me one day. And I was given a producer agreement. They were like, oh, have you been listening on calls? Mark this up. There you go. And that's how it shows up. So, all right. So what does the entertainment attorney actually do? I said it a little bit, but give the full rundown with entertainment. He did a great job of saying, so basically entertainment attorney is, um, you have to have a couple of skill sets. At the core, you're a business attorney. You should be like a strategist, You, but we, we need to be problem solvers, fixers, because at one time I may be touching what I do, I'll talk about what I do, is negotiating the deals, as you mentioned, Rashad, like um, strategizing, advocating, but you are making sure the brand is protected, copyrights, trademarks. Mm -hmm. um, it could be, you know, if, Somebody's coming to your clients with investment. If I don't do it, it's finding a network of corporate attorneys who may do that. So it's, I'll call it a dot connector. You're really a dot connector. You handle your piece of the pie, which in my case is negotiating, um, reviewing agreements, redlining, marking up, and then, you know, making sure the client's covered on all other facets. If you don't do it, somebody in your network needs to. Is it different from like music, film, television? Yeah, so they're different silos. So I started out as a music lawyer. So I I know everything about, very random fact about me. I used to co-own a music publishing company. So mm. I know a lot about music publishing. Um, So it starts for me. I cut my teeth in music. My internship was in music law. So yeah, it's music, fashion, film and TV, visual arts. So they're various, you know, um, silos in it. What would be different between? Oh, it, it, the nuance and sort of the deals, um, the deal terms and ask mm. that you're going to ask, because what I'm going to ask for in music has nothing to do in film and television. So when somebody's saying, and it's no diss to other people, but they're saying entertainment is exactly what you say, which sort of leg or arm, like you'll grow with your clients. Like I've been able to grow with you on a massive ways and it takes you into other silos, but at the core, it's always good for an entertainment attorney to start in like one, as I keep on calling them silos, because you have to know that back and forth. You have to know like music. I need, I'll know certain triggers and terms if somebody's saying, what does a producer need to get? Okay. You need to get your front end back in. You need your producer fee. Right. So that's one percentage of revenue. Then you need your producer advance or upfront fee. You need your producer royalty rate. You need your back end on publishing. Mm. You need your sound exchange. I just mentioned four revenue streams. Yeah. If somebody doesn't know that you're missing out, you're leaving money on the table for your client. Yeah. You I, know. I always like when, when when you get the red line. Yeah. I want to talk about that because <laughs> when whenever a contract comes to you, there's a red line version that comes back. I always wonder at the time 
that goes into doing that? Yeah. And what are the key things that you're looking at? Like, I know, like, when we talk all the time, it's like, the first thing we're looking for is perpetuity. If it's yes. in there, so are there other terms that you know before, like, if I see that in there, we have to have a conversation? Oh, absolutely. It's perpetuity, like you said, Troy. Yeah. We don't like that word. It's like a curse word to us. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, let me give the caveat. The only time <laughs> perpetuity is fine is if the price point could match and align and it's something that we feel like is negotiable. So I want to give that disclaimer. In rare cases <laughs> for people, and it may be something, if, let me give an example, if it's a soundbite of a song somebody wants to use for 30 seconds, they want it in perpetuity, they pay an applicable price to use it and we narrow down the territory, maybe that works for one client, but it won't work for the next. So that's why I always, I'm hands on with you all to be like, what do you want out of this? But I know in our case for my guys, <laughs> we don't like that word. Um, so because of that, I look for that. Um, I look for the term. So again, I like to say something. My job is to get you the most amount of money for the least amount of commitment. So that's how I treat it. What does that mean? If it's a term, can we decrease it? Can we keep it as short as possible? And we get you properly compensated in that window of time. If it's five, can we get it to three years? Like, so we're negotiating terms are very mm -hmm. important. Payment terms, when you're getting paid, how much you're getting paid and when you're getting paid are very important because we know that could be held up. Companies mean well, but they have their net 90, they have net 45, We, mm. look, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. That, so when you get paid is very important. Um, services, requirements, duties required of the person. So you may be like, oh, I didn't, they may be asking for too much or I'm cool with that, but just knowing upfront what is expected of you is important. I'm trying to think, of course, everything's important. You all, again, disclaimer, um, but the major terms, those are things just initially so that when I have calls with you all as busy as you are, I have to say, here's what we're gonna streamline. Here are the, the focal points. And then we attack some of those. So intellectual property, um, significant aspect Absolutely. of uh, entertainment law. So can you talk about intellectual property and can you provide um, some examples where yeah. you've helped your clients protect their intellectual property rights? Yes. Like you said, um, intellectual property, or if you hear people, you hear, hear them say IP a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, that is incredibly important. It's important for everyone, but specifically, I'm very passionate about our community as a Black community, knowing that, because that's often the first thing that's taken away from us. So it's a matter of what you create. And I just want to also say something. When you create something in the United States copyright law and trademark law, the minute you create, you write a poem, you write song lyrics, there's a copyright. What you want to do is go and take it added layer to it of protection and you go to the U.S. copyright office. So www.copyright.gov. I tell people, go learn that skill set by yourself because I get it. When you're coming up, mm -hmm. there may not be budgets and fees for lawyers. Go learn how to do some certain things by yourself. So go there. Learn how to file a copyright. It's not the most exciting thing to learn the process, but once you get it, you'll do it. Then you want to see, okay, do I have it? what's called a source identifier, a brand name? That's a trademark. Do I have something that people are starting to know me by, mm -hmm. right? Trademark that. And I can use you all if you all don't mind using you all as examples, clients. Sure. Earn your leisure. We are sitting here because this is a federally protected trademark. That is what you do before things get big. You protect your assets. Assets over liabilities is a trademark that's protected. So Rashad and Troy, the best example I'm using here oh, is you, you all <laughs> of the company that you all have and companies, I'm sorry, it, it's protected. That's the best way to do it. So whether you get the trademark attorney to do it, whether you do it on your own, just make sure it's protected before you walk into these business deals, you all, because I've seen it where somebody has to then either go 
buy that back or negotiate how to get it back. And of course, the price is much higher than it would have been before the star started to rise. Mm. So as you're creating relationships, these are all great things that we're talking about now. Is the, What's the first big client that you get to say, all right, I'm establishing a relationship here and that's going to lead, I mean, obviously led to others and we'll get to how we, we, yeah. we, uh, our origin story, but like, who's that first person or is, it, is there a group of people that you were like, I'm targeting this client. I got them. Now let's build. It actually came through, which is a bit of our origin story, which I know we'll talk about, um, through 85 South. Those, I would say those were the, the biggest one. I had been, you know, going with people, different levels and growing, but as far as sort of the trajectory of growth and how it started happening, I have to shot, shout my guys out. That's how it really started because we've been on this journey for several years together. Mm. And that was really when there started to be a shift in the atmosphere because I'm going to be very transparent for, I feel like a lot of people need to hear this. They think, and I know you guys, y'all get this a lot. People think they know what it goes into doing whatever you do, right? And it's, there's so many stories to it. I always tell God, if you give any bit of a platform, I'll, I'll say it. It's like, when I moved to Atlanta, like I left, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, I left the job there. I came here. I had to start from nothing. I packed what was in my car, moved with my sister, uh, stayed there for two years and started building the practice. So when people, you know, think they see whatever they think, you have to bet on yourself. Like, even when you look crazy, people are like, you're a lawyer, go work for a large firm. Going back to, I never, I work, I never worked for a large firm. It just wasn't my desire. I partnered with them for different things, but I've never gone into work because you're sort of told if you go in to be a transactional attorney like me, you go in, you go to a large firm, you become a partner. That was never my vision. In fact, it made me sick to my stomach, if we're being honest, mm. because I never really wanted that path because at the core, it's important for me to say I'm Nigerian and specifically, I'm from the Igbo tribe. We are very entrepreneurial. So that feels like prison to me. Hmm. But if that's your journey, it's your journey. But for me, it wasn't. And you're told that in law school. It's a machine, yeah. right? You're told, go here, do this. This is what people do. We produce, we spit this out. But what if you have a handful of people who are like, I don't want to do it that way. So I just was going against the beaten path. And then it takes some years to do that. Yeah. Like I didn't have steady clients. It was, you know, referral based. And that takes time before people could trust you and then so when you asked that question troy it was really the when the journey started going on the up and up things were going but as far as land it was growing with so, so it is the firm in a, in a sense not a safety but it's it's like a secure thing right you work for the firm you bring in deal flows the whole firm makes money and you get a percentage yeah. whereas if you do it on your own it's like this is the risk but this is part of being an entrepreneur it's like 100 percent of responsibility is Absolutely. you and 100 percent of the deal flow mm -hmm. are you yeah and it's nothing that's shared yep but at, actually troy like with firms, every firm structure is different, but when you're a junior attorney or an associate, they're not necessarily expecting you to bring in what they call a book of business or a lot of clients. If you do, cool, that helps you go to the partnership track a little faster okay. um, or faster in some instances. But yes, then there's an the expectation of bringing clients. But at first you're given work. You're given the work, you do it, do you knock it out? Is your work product good so that other partners will continue to give you more work? That's how you make the money. And then you're expected to start making money for them, which is bringing in clients. And you still split that revenue, to your point. Mm -hmm. And then you keep doing that until you get to a partnership track, which every firm has their different splits and how they do revenue. But that is basically the gist of the law firm model, mm. um, cut up in different ways. But yes, you are still very much sharing the labors of all of the efforts and things you put into and splitting it with the overall firm in some capacity. So let's talk about um, contract disputes. Yeah. That's something that, you know, we see on TV a lot and different things in nature, but um, talk about 
like the inner workings of a contract dispute and you can even give an example you don't have to name names but if mm-hmm. you were involved in a contract dispute as far as mitigating yeah. that process um can you talk about that yeah of course and i'm um, i'm gonna stay and um, start and stay in the music space because that's where you could see to be honest with you some of the nastiest disputes um they can go out for the one that i am referencing um is i think we were in it for about 18 months for a contract dispute. So what happened was the artist who I was representing was, um, you know, you put on an EP and an EP, you all is like, you know, a limited project, maybe five to seven songs versus an album, which is usually longer. Mm-hmm. And um, he was signed to a major label, but a, a smaller label had taken him to that major label. And that's called a production agreement usually. So they're saying, hey, I took you here. I get whatever percentage of the proceeds that you do, whether it's a 50-50 split or whatever the case. The relationship didn't work out. Meanwhile, as you're doing anything, recording, you're traveling, you have to recoup. Mm-hmm. They're tabbing like every bit of what you spend, every penny. So he ended up owing six figures. We're talking three, four hundred thousand dollars, and to the record label. And this was you all in a nine month span, maybe not not any more than not not a year, I'm sure of. Um, so you rack that up between you get this producer, pay them twenty thousand, you pay this one fifty, you do whatever, get a feature, you do whatever. So the label, because we have to understand, record labels are funded by other larger companies, um, you know, multi billion dollar companies. So writing three hundred, four hundred thousand off to them is in. Eh. So they were willing to walk away. The smaller company that walked him to the label said, "Now nah, we need that. So we sat for 18 months and we went back and forth about negotiating post-term agreements. So it can get painful, Rashad and Troy. So what happened? <laughs> he ended up um, having to give maybe three to four years of basically a 360 post-term. And 360 means collecting revenue streams for okay. anything you do, like an appearance merchandise um a, a song um a video any any kind of thing where somebody's making any revenue split for three to four years you would think the major label would fight it and say oh, we just they literally excused four hundred thousand dollars of debt that other company wanted to attach themselves and sometimes that could be out of spite for being very honest there was no reason they didn't need the money hmm. so that was done and um at this point, he's out of the contract because this was several years ago, but it took that long because they wanted, they were using perpetuity. They were using 15 year terms. They were using things like that. We're like, we're not doing that. And perpetuity means forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah. So that's how reckless it can get sometimes. That's um, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until they recoup the money. Yeah. So this is, this is uh, one of those things, right? When you're looking at that contract, how do we distinguish the line between having a personal relationship yes. with the client mm-hmm. and having a professional relationship because you could look at it and say like in your mind they should not do this this doesn't this does not make sense um and then you have to present it to them as a professional and they may say i still want to do this so Absolutely. how do you deal with that i deal with that by um, i often say it is my opinion your choice <laughs> i like to even think about Good language my opinion your choice but i give that and i and I hope everybody sees that I work with, I'm very truthful, I'm transparent. And I like to often put myself in it. Would I enter this deal? That's the first thing I do before I touch anything. Mm-hmm. And if not, let's try to get to a place where I will as a human being. Mm-hmm. We're not, again, and that's always managed expectations. We may not get everything, but if we get a good chunk of it and we're happy, let's go. That's a win. But there are some times where I've actually said, I don't think this is good. 
And that's difficult because, you know, I care about everybody I work with. Mm -hmm. And it's, but if you want to make it as a professional, I have advised you. And I can't force anybody to do it, nor do I want to, because I don't want you to resent me. <laughs> you know, so it's, that has happened. That's happened on not a lot of occasions, but enough for me to remember. And in that instance, I gave you all, that was one of the contracts I told the person they should not enter. Hmm. And it turned out to be five years that, you know, he went through what he went through in total with being signed and in the post term. Hmm. But I, you know, and. I did everything I could do for him until we just sort of had to part ways because at that point they basically shelved him and he was not, you know, releasing any music. So there's nothing for anybody to represent, <laughs> you know, like a manager can't represent you, a lawyer can't represent you. So you just have to finish out that term with people. But you never say I told you so because that's life. He learned. I bet you he learned a music business. Right. You got to learn certain lessons. So that that happens sometimes. But just letting people know, OK, I'm here and then. If you have to clean up a mess on the back end, then that you'd be there to help and bring the right people there. But I tell people it's always better to be proactive than reactive. It's very expensive to be reactive. It's a fact. <laughs> so how how has the advent of digital platforms and streaming services um altered the legal landscape when it comes to the entertainment industry? And this is for music side or the content side with Netflix, yeah. different things on nature. Yeah, so a lot of it, um, I'll start on music side. For several years, it took the labels a little while to want to catch up um, because it's just the system had worked. If we're talking labels, we're doing sort of splits. You may have like an 80-20 split and 80% is in the favor of the label. Mm -hmm. um, that's why you have people that gave pushback that, you know, when you hear of the masters being signed over because the trade-off is, hey, let me get your masters. I'll give you... I'm just going to throw a number out, $200,000 for an advance to get this for two albums out of you or whatever the case is. You do that, but you don't own your song when it's gone out and it's final. That's what a master's is in its final sound recording. But some people are like, nah, I need to keep that because that's your intellectual property. So they keep that and then they are what's called independent artists and they do that. So streaming offered another revenue, um, revenue stream, but streamers do not pay much at all, if we're being honest, for musicians. Um, and as far as TV and film and Netflix, various deals are different, but I know they're in different markets because I have clients both in the US and in Nigeria and their paydays are very different, as you can imagine, depending on the market mm -hmm. um, and how that's leveraged and how the um, market is viewed. So it's it all depends, but um, in music with streaming, you have a lot of artists that push back because a lot of these, um, digital service providers and streamers should be paying a lot more than they pay per like, you know, they're paying pennies on the dollar per, per streaming. So being on the side of that and understanding that the way you do, mm -hmm. is that why you decided to create a publishing company? Yes. <laughs> right. Cause I'm thinking like, oh, that <laughs> makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're able, it gives me an interesting vantage point. Like you said, Troy, being a lawyer, being in these deals, I know what it's supposed to look like. Right. Now, again, not saying I've seen everything, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> I've seen enough to know that, ooh, you all could be um, monetizing this a lot better. And I specifically started the publishing company in Nigeria. So my foray, I talked to you all about this privately. Like, I've been doing business in Nigeria for eight years, way before people cared. In fact, I remember telling people in Atlanta where I'm based, like, Y'all should um y'all should really check this out. I'm telling you. I would tell people about WizKid. I would tell people about all these folks. Mm. And nobody listened. And nobody listened. And I was like, this is not going anywhere. And I would tell people. So I started a company there. Um, with I had, the important part when you're doing business local, you have to find people. Especially, let me give people a tip. You're doing anything on the continent. 
Find people on the ground who actually do that or who have good relationships to connect you because just because I'm Nigerian doesn't mean I know how to do business in Nigeria. I was born and raised in America. So it took me a couple of years to get the rhythm, to go back and forth, to learn all that. And that's how I learned um, with the music publishing company. And I learned a lot of lessons. You learn good lessons, you learn bad lessons. Um, you learn you learn how people maneuver mm-hmm. and that's business and you, you know, Dust yourself off, pick yourself up. But in that, I got a lot of relationships. So I got to build with a lot of music artists in Nigeria with some dear friends of mine right now because I'm coming in the name of let's build infrastructure. Let's help you create generational wealth. Everybody else came in the name of let's take from you. Let's exploit. Let's build nothing and let's continue to take from you. So it was a little different. And I think it helped too because I'm one of them, even though I'm born abroad and they have like a nickname for us <laughs> that are born abroad than a Nigerian or from elsewhere in the diaspora. But um, but I came when they watch you, it's about trust. They were like, no, she's really here. And when you all, when you help people make some money, they listen too. So that came through publishing. And slow, people now for a company that was started um, a few years ago are just starting to get their music publishing. That's how long it can take. It can take three or four years. Mm. But when you get passive revenue, I was trying to introduce them to a new income stream, revenue stream. They were getting show money. They were getting tours. They're writing songs they're giving up to bigger artists and work for hiring. You all work for hiring means, hey, if somebody gives you $2,500, you're signing away all your intellectual property rights. If they make a million from it, your $2,500 was your payment. People will walk away from that. And then their song would go and sell and make a, a million dollars or sell a million units and you get nothing. So publishing allows you every time you're sitting somewhere, even in places you don't know in the world, yeah. you're collecting a revenue stream. How do, how do you, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to do. So how do you track that? How do you, or how do you build a team that has the infrastructure to track that being on the continent? Or is that something that can be American based that you're just tracking inter- internationally? So I would do a lot of things like use some of the relationships I have in America. So we have performance rights organizations here, BMI, CSAC, ASCAP. So there are other ones throughout the world, but I'm just speaking to the US based ones. I would take some of these songwriters and the key was we didn't sign a lot of people because it's a lot to mm-hmm. deal with. You would bring them back here and assign them to those people and say, hey, we just need somebody who they have the analytics, they have the technology to go say, if your song is playing in this concert hall in Japan, because I can't as a human being, how am I supposed Mm -hmm. to know that's happening? But they have the technology to do that and they'll go collect the revenue streams, take their cut as a service fee, and then you get paid quarterly. You get that revenue stream. So imagine your song is out and yes, you recorded it, you did it, you put it out there and you almost forget about it and you get a royalty check. That's the power of music publishing. So um, some unique challenges. What unique challenges does the music industry present from a legal standpoint, particularly around issues like copyright infringement and royalty disputes? Mm-hmm. It's um, some of what I was mentioning. Copyright infringement is people like they, they'll put their songs out and then it's a battle of he said, she said, who put it out first? But the real way to get to the finish line is file your copyrights you all <laughs> when you create songs specifically because i i tend to see it most in the music industry it's file your copyright when you are doing the lyrics or two parts of a song the sound recording the finished product and then what's called your composition the physical lyrics file the copyright for both sides because it becomes a he said she said who created it first then you're arguing about who created a song and it's important to say with royalties it's something called a split sheet if a split sheet does not um, equal to 100%, 
Nobody will touch it. It's like the plague. A company can't touch it because they're liable. They don't know when this check comes in, who to pay. So if YouTube or any of these platforms are like, hey, we need to know your splits. They're always talking about, okay, if the three of us created a song, are we 33 and a third? Or are we like, how did we do that? Those numbers have to be clear because they can get sued if you pay anybody a dollar more than you're supposed to pay them. So that's why that's important in disputes. That's how it usually rears his head. Nobody cares until something starts popping, right? Mm -hmm. Then everybody wants to get paid. They have selective amnesia. Then they were like, no, I actually did 50% of the song. And then you start fighting. And then the, what they would do is actually hold the money in something called a black box. That's what it's called in the music industry. It's called a black box. Because if nobody could figure it out, nobody's getting paid. And then your money's <laughs> held up. So when you, I mean, in the space of AI now, and we're seeing, artists' voices being used. Oh, crazy. Like, I, I mean, how do you wrap your mind around this, like from a litigation standpoint, right? Because how do you, who do you sue? I how think, does this work? I think everybody's trying, if, if they'll be honest, everybody's trying to figure that out. It's so new yeah. because I just, I was having a conversation the other day. I think that AI, and I don't know if I'm giving ideas here, but I think inevitably it's gonna happen. When the technology's coming out, they're gonna start seeing how people are monetizing from that. And I feel like people, they're gonna want their cut. I said it because it's just as a smart business owner, somebody's gonna be like, if my technology helped this person create this, why am I not? Why am I not participating in that revenue stream? I just think that's one of the many ways it will rear its head. But I think it's people are like, AI is going to take over a human job. No, there's certain things that people still want humans to do, mm -hmm. no matter how great technology is. Like you still want a human being to like, we're going to figure out what some of that is, but are people going to lose jobs? Unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But is everybody going to lose their job? No. What do you think? I'm, I'm interested. What do you think? No, I mean, I was listening to this Beyonce song and I was like, well, this is pretty crazy. Then yeah. I heard the Drake song. I'm like, this is pretty crazy. Like yeah. these are songs. I'm not sure. Like, I think uh, the Recording Academy was saying that they might start accepting some of these, yeah. these songs that plays, right? Yeah. Because if it charts, if 3 million people are listening to it in a week, that's going to chart. Yeah. So if the artist really didn't have anything with the, to do with the creation of it, other than an algorithm putting together their likeness, well, I guess that would be them. Yeah. How do you monetize off it? And is it copyright infringement, right? That's the tricky part, Joy, because that's what I'm saying. It's like you're using at the core, you're using Beyonce's voice. Like, that's infringement. To me, I'm just giving my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. but somehow there are loopholes for them to get around it because nobody, well, if people are suing people, we haven't heard of um, a case of precedence, which they call it when it's the first of its kind. We haven't heard of one yet. I mean, maybe it may be coming out, but that it's like, Oh, this person's saying you can't use it right now. It's it's open for people to use it. It's falling under what they call the exception of copyright. You have parody, you have like um, education purpose purposes. You have um, what they're called, you know, like news. Like right? if it's newsworthy, you have some of these. So it's it's. Ernest, what's up? Look, this episode is sponsored by Nerd Wild Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your money. I can't front. The nerds have helped me get smarter about a few things, like planning my tax bills so that I don't dread April every year, or making a budget that's balanced, not just buying sneakers and fly clothes, or saving on travel because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night or maybe a five-star dinner. Or boosting my credit score, since we all know credit is like the real-life cheat code. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines can have on your life. 
You'll get the clarity you need to make smart decisions with confidence. Smart money is the smartest way to get even smarter about money. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It seems to be falling and I'm pausing because it's it, it's going to backfire in some capacity. These artists are not going to be okay with like, because people recognize this song because they recognize the melody and the voice of the original right. artist. So who's going to tell somebody that that's not copyright infringement after all? But nobody yet has been sued or, you know, held guilty. I, I, I We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. So let me, uh, <laughs> all right. So what's your thoughts on... And how has the landscape changed legally when it comes to contracts for, you know, we're in the creators economy right now. Mm. So like when you're looking at independent creators and influencers, what, this is a new realm of entertainment. Yes. Previously the entertainment was just musicians, actors, different things of that nature, athletes. But now you're, you're dealing with influencers, people that are YouTubers, social yeah. media, um, people, people on TikTok that's making a million dollars. Yeah. So what's different now with this new age of digital creation? It's that um, it's fair game for pretty much anybody in, in a respectful way. But eventually the, the wheat will separate itself from the chef. Like, and I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm just saying some people are in it for the quick, like, hey, you know, I'm a, a TikToker. I made this. I didn't think this would happen. Go collect what they collect and go sell off to the sunset. But if you want to make a career out of it, there's no way to cheat consistency in any capacity. But right? like contract, as far as the contracts, mm -hmm. are, is it the same legal genre? Just the same legal process that a musician goes through or actor goes through? that a social media person would go through when oh, they're, when they're doing their contracts, different types. They what those contracts for influencers and like brand ambassadors, they're more pressed about like how many eyeballs, right? So like, are you, um, if you have a hundred thousand, um, uh, followers on Instagram, for example, or whatever the platform is, what is, how's that translating or translating itself into like, what impressions? Who is looking there? Who's fault? That's very important to them. So, like yeah. in the contract, it would be um, you have to do three social media posts. Absolutely, like the social media thing is is being pretty standard in contracts these days. Absolutely, it's very standard. But for an influencer, they might up the ante because that's their whole thing, mm -hmm. right? And music, you're not you're gonna you may see a request like that in music, and if we strike through it, they're not gonna press about it as much as they would for an influencer or a brand ambassador because that's their whole premise of like, hey, we're partnering with you because where we would normally spend this money on our marketing budget elsewhere in a different way, you are now our marketing budget, <laughs> a big chunk of it. So we need nobody can guarantee anything, but we need you to do this to get these deliverables. So that's very important. So the, there's some pushback there more than it would be in a maybe a TV or 
uh, music contract or, but yeah, when you're dealing with influencers, you're dealing with um, brand ambassadors, that's usually very important. The number of posts, when it's posted, the consistency of posts, all mm -hmm. of that. Was that a, a strategic brand shift for you? Or were you looking at the landscape saying, guess music is doing great, but there, there are some, some setbacks in music. I'm looking at the landscape. Where is the next place where people are going to need representation? When you're looking at that saying, yes, influencers, uh, social media uh, talent, uh, was that the next thing on, on the landscape for you looking at like, these are the terms of clients I'm going to be looking for going in the future? It, it actually, I think this is a perfect time to bring in the origin story. It came with <laughs> the story I'm about to tell. Um, so it was, I was, you know, chugging along in music, enjoying that, continue to grow. And then I met a gentleman named Chad. <laughs> I met Chad Ubre. Um, shout out to Chad. Shout um, out to Chad. <laughs> And I met him, we were connected. I'd spoken on a panel and um, was connected to him. And I remember him talking about, you know, a podcast that the guys had. And one thing about me is I like put my head down, I do the work. So I know what's going on, but I just focus on what I was doing. So of course I heard of the guys. Um, I heard about DC Young Fly, Carlos Miller, Chico Bean, and the podcast was 85 South. And they had, a, you know, they had some buzz, of course, um, but we had a talk and he's like, okay, we're looking for a lawyer. And it was before things really started popping off and we just hit it off. And to know Chad, which y'all, we all know Chad very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to know Chad is to know, we were supposed to have a 30 minute conversation. Two and a half hours later, we were still talking. And you all, I want to um, pat myself on the back because that may not be the easiest thing always. <laughs> so Chad is amazing. Um, and we hit it off to say the least. And um, I just been able to grow with them. And it that's really how I got into the world of podcasts and influencers. A and whole content. new world. Whole new world. <laughs> and we were learning and growing together. And um, literally, do y'all want to take the alley from here about how we met? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Chad, I think I had asked him, we were going to do it, I forgot what deal, maybe iHeart, but we were starting to do different deals. So I asked him who his lawyer was, and he, it was just that. Mm -hmm. He was like, yeah, you know, Amy, mm -hmm. make an introduction. Mm -hmm. And that was that from there. So it was relatively easy. You know, referrals, relationships, I that's always it. tell people that's like the biggest thing. That's it. Relationships, having referrals. So yeah, yeah. most of the time, you're going to ask somebody that you trust who they use. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a dentist or a barber or mm -hmm. a handyman or whatever. And, yeah. You know, just, you just rely on, on their judgment. Of course, you do your own, you know, research and fill it out mm -hmm. for yourself. But, um, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty yeah. straightforward. I, I think we flew to Atlanta and we had dinner. Yep. And it was like, all right, I like her. <laughs> yeah, but it was your level of enthusiasm, um, your your willingness to say, like, I, you guys are going to be. Yeah. You guys are going to be major. Oh, like, what you feel it. The work you're doing is incredible. Yeah. And it's always been that with you. Yeah, thank um, you. So I mean, I, I guess let's let's flip the let's flip the mirror a little mm -hmm. bit. Looking at us, and before you knew what we were doing, mm -hmm. how were you deciding? What are the the key factors of these are the clients I want to work with? Oh, you all spirit. I'm very like I'm a woman of faith, so I align with like like it's, it's spirits for me. Like you all are. I literally say I tell y'all all the time. Y'all probably like oh, but it's a blessing to work with y'all and people who inspire me. That's a big thing for me. I work off passion again. I'm a creative at the core. <laughs> like, so I, I feed off certain things. I get the work done because, you know, got to take things to the finish line. But I, I feel like I show up at the highest level, the highest frequency when I'm inspired. So it's the human soul, the people. Um, they inspire me. And then the work, it's impactful. Like, it's really authentic for me. 
And then, you know, when we lock in, I want to make sure we choose each other because mm-hmm. uh, we're going to go on some very amazing journeys together. And then just with you all, like it was when I locked in, I was just like, oh, they are so dope. And you feel it. I can't explain it to people. I was like, they're just amazing. Like, and I just, and and God's been so good and batting a thousand, you know, like it's, it, it, it's, it's important. I got the same feeling with you all with 85, like in the blessing. And I hope you all see this and I know we have much love between each other. It's. I got there before. So I don't feel like y'all question any bit of, you know, it's easy for people to come around when things are popping and things are great. Mm-hmm. But like when you see, and I just was impressed by all the work y'all done before. And then, you know, that just makes the journey sweeter. So let me ask you this, as far as um, international law, mm-hmm. you know, you do work in America and, and on the continent. Mm-hmm. So what's the complexities of that? And, even in dealing with uh, like artists or people trying to protect their intellectual property, like what's, you know, everything is becoming global now. So how is it, you know, working across borders and doing business, not only in Africa, but also, you know, advising clients on international affairs and different things in nature? Absolutely. It's knowing a lot of times people are like, how can you practice in America there? Because I'm a transactional attorney, it's very important to say like, I can practice here and the deals are based in the United States. And when you're licensed and what they call barred and you're a transactional attorney, I'm not going to court. I don't litigate at all. We refer that out to other people who do that. I would have to find local counsel so I can represent somebody there. If it's out of my jurisdiction, I just find people. Like if it's a UK-based contract, I will find an applicable attorney there and all that. So that's important to note because people are like, how do they scratch your head? How does that work? And a lot of it's relationships. It's um, building and growing with these artists, but then advising them, okay, if you have intellectual property filed in Nigeria and you're starting to do more shows and things in America, we got to get that done now. It's just sort of being proactive and thinking ahead, saying you're showing up, you're recording more projects, you are doing a tour, you consistently ask to come here. Okay, then that's a whole process. There's a visa process attached to it. Mm-hmm. There is, um, you know, the intellectual property side, there's a deal making because I, I'm just going to be forthcoming. When some artists are coming into the American market, we know this is the most competitive entertainment market period. Nobody will argue about that. Um, then artists are shortchanged specifically from the continent, if we'll be honest. You need somebody who knows how this looks mm-hmm. to know that it's like, raise your hand in the room. I know y'all can do better. And I and I hope my clients feel like I show up like that for them. I feel like I go in like full throttle because I know what it looks like. And I get it. And with them, like, we might not be able to pay these margins we do, but we'll figure it out. And each time when you push a little bit, you get what you need because, you know, these companies are trying to put keep more money in their pocket. Job is to advocate for the artist. I'm always clear on the side. I'm on the content creator and the artist side. So that's what it looks like. It's just, you know, getting in front of it. These deals are there. Ultimately, it's their decision if they want to go in. But we know that we like if there's money on the table, we need to go get it. And that's what it looks like. Got to go get it. Is there any times when when deals will be brought to you to be brought to a client rather than saying the client says, we have a deal. Can you look at it? Mm -hmm. How does that work? It depends because there's a lot of requests, especially the bigger, bigger clients get. People want to pitch certain things. So I'm very sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. I um, I, I like to protect you all. <laughs> I'm very protective. Um, Thanks, Amy. So it's because there's a lot that goes on. A lot of people try to get. So that can happen. But when I feel like if and when it aligns and it's something because what people need to appreciate, no one person I work with, you all are amazing. Nobody thinks they're more special than the next. But what people have to understand about um. When you leave an impact, you have a global name and you have notoriety that a lot of people want your attention. And it's you have to feel through the noise. And 
sometimes that's brought, but some of it is not worth tapping the clients to say, this might be a good opportunity because people need to put in some work. What some people want a lot of times is, hey, I got an idea, can you flesh it out? People don't have time for that as much as they want to. Like you don't have time when somebody's in demand. Talk to my lawyer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so sometimes I would get those and I'm a line of you know protection of armor. Sometimes it needs to be brought to the lawyer or the manager or whoever, agent, whoever it is, because we're here to protect and buffer because a lot of pitches and a lot of ideas get thrown. So that happens. But mm -hmm. by the time I would come to any of you all, would be like, yo, this is something I'm like, yo, like, you know, it's something that I think y'all should hear this. It has to be that strong, in my opinion, because I know how much comes to clients in your way. So how um, how far can you push before you before you push too hard? Like when you're dealing with a, a corporate mm -hmm. and you're trying to negotiate and trying to go back and forth. And it's like sometimes you can try to, you know, push somebody too hard, then it just blows the deal up and then that's a great question nobody wins so. i would say this it's as far as my clients want us to go because we always strategize y'all know this like if you were if you want to pull it up if you want to take it off the table we'll take it off the table we're going on this ride together so my answer is as far as we like we decide we wanted to go and if because we're pushing and advocating for something we really stand on is your vision and your brand stand on if they don't want it i promise you somebody else will promise <laughs> seen it enough <laughs> so you said trans transactional attorney, right? So like, what's the, what's the, how does a transactional attorney actually make a living, right? Is it through the contracts? Is it as a retainer? Because some people have no idea. They're yes. Like, oh, you're a lawyer. My mom told me to be one. <laughs> like, yeah. And they have no idea. Yeah, like, how, do you, how do you make money? Absolutely. So it could be a hybrid effect. It could be hourly rates. Um, But attorneys... Depending on where you go, they do less of hourly rates. It could be flat rates. So, okay, if I review this contract, it costs X amount. But as clients are growing, then uh, you could have a hybrid of retainer. And then for transactional deals, when you all hear in deals in the entertainment, usually an attorney, when the deal is brought and will do something called paper, like then they want you to paper it. It's, you know, the ideas and everything have been discussed and they want you to make sure you're going over with a fine tooth comb, the legal leads and all of that. You get 5% of the deal. Mm -hmm. That was standard pretty much in any side of the industry, music, film, television, anything. And then there are other ways for the entrepreneurial people that are attorneys to say, if you bring something of value to your client, then you all collaborate on whatever, you know, that percentage would be there. But generally speaking, if you're on the entertainment side, an attorney will get paid 5% of the deal that's papered that they are like reviewing and going through. Can we talk about relationships again? Mm -hmm. Because, and I'm glad you used the word silos because yeah. entertainment is your silo. Um, but there's been times when there things have been brought, it might be trademark, it might be cryptocurrency yes. where that might not be a silo. Mm -hmm. Talk about how that works with collaborating with yes. another attorney who, whose specialty is that. Absolutely. A lot of it is big on, I just love that my clients trust me. I'm like, okay, it's not what I do and trust. I want the best because I always want the best for everyone. I don't want to sit here and guinea pig what anybody's going through. <laughs> like I, I like to stay on my lane. I like to say I can do what's in my lane with my eyes closed because I have a passion for it and a fervor for it. But when it's something outside and I know there's a lot that could be lost, I'm going to bring in somebody that does the same thing I do in their space. So that's what I do. It's just always knowing you can never, ever know too many people. Mm -hmm. So if I don't know somebody in their space, oh, I got to find them because I need it to look like magic to you all. That's why I almost need it. Like, oh, this person appeared, but you might not see in the back end. It's like, okay, figuring out all this. But like, it just has to be because you're, your worlds are moving so fast. So it's my job, I take that very personally, to like find the right person. Again, my default is always, am I going to enter this contract? Am I gonna handle it like it's mine? I take it that personally. Like, so we gotta find people 
we'll get it done. Um, so yeah, I have a theory that there's no such thing as a bad contract, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like unless your lawyer just completely lied to you and mm-hmm. you were you you weren't you know aware of what you actually signed, take that out of it. But like if you're aware of what you signed, because you know a lot of musicians they come back and they they have arguments with their former head of their label yeah. or things of nature like you know they took advantage of me or I signed away my masters and you know I got a I got a raw deal I feel like um it wasn't a bad deal when you signed it yeah because if you if it was a bad deal you wouldn't have signed That's it real. it's like it's a bad deal six months or a year later when you're a different person yeah and you got a lot more leverage mm-hmm. it's like you didn't want to wait you didn't want to do the independent route you yeah. didn't want to build leverage which I'm not even knocking it but that's why your deal was structured the way it, mm-hmm. it is. Um, so I said that before, got some backlash for it, but I just felt like it's, it's everything is always looked at in the reverse. Absolutely. But it's like, what if it didn't work out mm-hmm. and I paid you money and I gave you all of this and I didn't make anything mm-hmm. from it, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my that's that's my philosophy on life that there's, there's no such thing as a bad deal unless you were misinformed. Absolutely. Let me ask you this question though. What about, which is a scenario which we want to break this, which is what y'all are doing. A lot of people in our community, in the black community, they do it out of desperation. They really need a hundred thousand. I'm not condoning, I'm just throwing it out. In the scenarios, they really need that money. It's not coming from anywhere else. No, it's not life changing because we know after what I always want to remind people, you start out with a hundred thousand, you pay the government, mm-hmm. gotta pay your lawyer. Got to pay your manager. So you are probably walking away with 50 to 60% of that money, right? But they don't factor that in, but they need it. So I want to ask, I mean, I know, because I know you, I know your answer probably is going to be the same, but like, what do you think about that? Because Rashad, that's probably 75% of the reason. Like I said, enter this. If if you're under the premise of I'm signing my master's away Mm -hmm. for $100,000, right? And you're informed, this is what you're Mm -hmm. doing. To me, that's not a bad deal. It's a bad deal if, they say, all right, $100,000, you're still going to own your master's. But in the contract somewhere, you kind of like got swindled. Yeah. And then it's like, damn, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But you you willingly gave it away. Mm-hmm. You thought about it. Yeah. It's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Because it, in that moment, $100,000 could change your life. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, if it, if it was a bad deal, you wouldn't sign it. That's right. So when people say, like, hey, you did it out of desperation, that's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Because at that point in time, I made a rational decision that a hundred thousand dollars is more valuable than my master's. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a fair assessment, Troy. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think the education part is so important. But I think having a good attorney yeah. in this situation is, good, uh, is important as well, because a lot of times in those yeah. situations, somebody's been appointed to them. Yep. Absolutely. And they may not have their best interests. I think that's one of the things that you say to us every time we have a meeting. It's like, y'all know I got your best yeah. interests in mind. And I feel like that's the truth, yeah. right? Because yeah. we've had plenty of dealings. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times that is not the case. Mm-hmm. So on top of it, not, I mean, yes, there's desperation. Mm-hmm. But who's advising you yeah. to say like yes or yeah. no? No, it's crazy. But a lot of these people, back to what both of y'all are saying, it's what breaks my heart because I'm still like one of those people. I know I've been in this business long enough to know it's out there and I, I'm tough enough to deal with it, but I still have the heart <laughs> to be like, oh, every time I hear one of those stories, because it's um, it's the same old, which I'm getting what y'all are saying. By now, people should get it. 
Mm-hmm. They should get it, but it doesn't make it any less painful because until we break some of these cycles where we have enough income to not be in these, what some call oppressive deals, right? Then it's unfortunately going to keep happening. Um, but the way around it, it's not happening as much, you all, because there are a lot more independent artists. But this was happening, it was rampant, you know, 10 years ago. But now in the age of, I'm doing more independent deals on the music side than anything, you all. Just to give context, mm-hmm. I haven't done a major deal with the particular clients I'm working with in almost two years. So what does an independent deal look like? An independent deal looks like an artist owning their master still, but what they're doing is licensing the term of where it could be used. Now, these licenses are getting a little longer than they used to be. So they're saying, hey, you could take my copyright exclusively for my catalog of 50 songs. You could take that for five years. Still own the copyright, but now there will be a split, which is a smaller revenue split. You can see a 90-10, 80-20, maybe 70-30. In favor of? In favor, I'm sorry, in favor of the artist. Okay. But you are still owning your copyright. Um, There's something called the licensing period, then a retention period, which again, that's another way for them to sort of extend the time they can collect. But all in, you are still owning your copyright. That's very important. Mm-hmm. But that's happened a lot. So when I'm saying I haven't done a major deal in almost two years in that capacity with an artist, it's because we've been going to those kinds of um, structures. What years. about in, in law? Like you didn't take the traditional route. Mm-hmm. You're independent. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing more professionals, specifically oh, yeah. African-American professionals go the independent route? Absolutely. Specifically. And you know what? It's powerful. Like not that people can't become what you don't see, but it's more often that you become what you see. When I moved to Atlanta at the time, and I still think this is the case, they had the highest population of African-American female business owners. So that's inspirational when I'm going everywhere and I'm like, oh, black women own this and black women own that. So I was like, oh shoot, I can do it too. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it just feels, because if you think about it too much, then you scare yourself out of it. And I never had a desire to own my own law firm. I had a desire to own other businesses, Mm -hmm. but I never wanted to run a law firm because what people need to understand is I'm wearing two very different hats. You all more than get that. You have your skill set, but then you're running a business. That has nothing to do with each other. Like when you're doing your CEO stuff, like when you're out there, if you're doing branding or you're uh, doing a logo or do, okay, when I'm being a lawyer, what does that, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with me and thinking about how my business is going to grow and scale. So I want anybody, it's possible, but just to know that you are um, making a lot of choices and you're wearing several hats, especially when you start out your own, you're mm-hmm. doing everything. You're your own secretary, your own accountant, your own lawyer, your own Financial plan, you're everything. And then obviously as you grow and scale, you get team members there. So do it, but like proceed with caution and know that it's going to be worth every bit of it, but it's a journey. I think some people into like, I can do this and they get here. And after a year, they're like, oh, shoot. What about like negotiating out of a contract or renegotiating the terms of a contract while the contract is still in place? Like mm. how does somebody do that? If they're, if they're in, Cause that happens a lot too. When people yeah. renegotiate contracts during the actual contract yeah. itself. It is, it's leverage. I'm going to be honest with y'all. Uh, it's leverage because it, it's not that easy when people don't feel like you add value. I'm just going to be very frank with people. Like, but this has been done. It's because they saw value in you because I have definitely been on the other side of contracts in my earlier years and stuff like that gives you the fire you need. I literally had one um, of my counterparts say, um, hey, take it or leave it. Because they feel like there's a level of disrespect they can have because it's like, you should even be happy to be in the room. Your client should be happy. So when you come from that, 
to situations of leverage, you all, I don't care what anybody says, it's a very different room. It's so leveraged to answer your question. That's when they're willing to, because usually what they're going to go, God forbid something goes to court. They can say, didn't you sign this? Was there any duress? Was there any mental incompatibility? Nope. Got to honor the contract. But are people open to it? Yes, when there's leverage. When they feel like, okay, let's make this person happy. Let's make these people happy. We'll figure something out. But generally speaking, it's hard for me to see outside of that. Mm. that You can get out of something you agree to. You, you you brought up something being all those roles inside the business, mm-hmm. and this is something that we see amongst entrepreneurs across the board. The leverage, the I guess, the balance between working on the business and working in the business, right? Like I, every time I speak to you, it, you, there's something you've got going on. So like <laughs> when you're talking about scaling the business, how do you? I mean, what does that look like for you? I love it. Um, it's. It has to look at the way everybody wants. I'm very hands-on with my people. So for me, on the legal side, I never really envisioned having a 50-person law firm. I didn't. I I want to be the type of lawyer who's entrepreneur, work with my people <laughs> that I love, who, again, I told you my criteria, who I'm inspired by, who I'm motivated by, who trust me and what I'm doing and will grow together. I don't know what that number looks like, Joy, mm-hmm. but I know I never want to drop the ball on my people. So if it stays in this boutique-ish feel, which is how I even brand myself boutique, like I don't, I, I can't answer the exact number. We'll scale, but I just know that I didn't envision because I know that's a different monster. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with attorneys who have 200 attorneys and you're not practicing day to day anymore. I hope you all feel it. Like when I do deals, I love it. Like I love it. Like it, it's nobody's forcing me to do. There's an art and a dance that goes to it. So I still want to do that with the people I want to do it with for however long we'll do it together. And then, but everybody is different. So I want to touch that. But yeah, I may have other things that other attorneys under me do, but I don't know. Um, I could tell you what I feel like I don't want it to be. Never say never. But I. I think I get a handful of attorneys on something I still keep. I always still want to touch and feel my clients. So I think once you start getting super large, you're going to, there's no way around it. You're not going to be able to touch people in that capacity and know the inner workings and you get close with people, you know, families. I want to keep that feel. So I want to keep that boutique feel. But what I do is I like other revenue streams. And I've learned that for you all. Like I've learned that just from people around me. So like um, I have land in Nigeria. I have a place because I go so much, you know, I was doing Airbnbs. Yes, I'm writing it off as business. I have clients there, but I just got a place out there. So like I invest in, you know, already got some equity out there. I'm in the place already. So I, those are things I do. I have an investment property in Atlanta as well. Yeah. So again, you can't, you can't be around it and not like listen. So it's about just listening to people, like being inspired. So that's just other ways. And I'm always keeping my ears to the ground. I'm always learning. There's a lot I still need to learn in the financial literacy space. Uh, but I know that I have to plant my seeds in various places and I've done that. And I think that's just one thing a lot of lawyers don't do. I can't speak for any other profession but mine. Um, they sort of stay in their lane. It's great. You may make good money, but then they fall into the golden handcuffs, right? You go there, you work for firm, it's great, but you get the shiny lifestyle and you get the certain car and everybody should enjoy it and we work hard, but then you're like, if I leave this, then I can't do this. I never want to be there. And because I work for myself and we get to choose each other and I get to choose on what I like, I don't, I don't have to make those decisions. So it allows me to be flexible and be like, okay, this, what I love, I got to say a disclaimer with you all. What I love about working with the people that like God has for you is y'all want me to shine. Half the time you might be like, where are you on earth? But it doesn't matter because you know, I'm going to get it done. Right. 
So I want to tell everybody, work with people that want you <laughs> to grow. That's a big part. I, I need to, I feel like I need to say that because some people I have run into cases, which obviously is not you all, whereas you're growing, people are sort of like, uh, I don't know what this feels like, but why should it be a problem? Now, if it's slipping on my work product, I get it. But if the person's not, why is it a problem? But I want to celebrate you all because it's always like, okay, dope. And sometimes you may not even know I'm out of the country because it should feel that way. It should feel like you don't even know. <laughs> I, I only ask when you're out of the country because I want to know how many hours ahead you are. Exactly. <laughs> out of respect. You see this when you work with your people, they care about you. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're like, I'm in Nigeria. I'm like, oh, it's three in the morning. But, I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> because I care. And then you all have been there. So I just feel like I have to say that because a lot of people think it's something it's not. It's like, you know, you all, because your work so closely, it's like, you feel like, hey, nobody, some people think because they pay you, they own you. I think it's very important. I'm very transparent. Y'all know that. I need to say that. And it's like, in a healthy relationship and whatever it is, <laughs> this is a professional, it should not be that way. And I totally feel that with y'all. Y'all want me to grow and thrive. And I tell people, get around people like that, that want that for you in every aspect of your life, because I feel it. This is all coming together now, Amy. As you're speaking, <laughs> I remember we were uh, at the Grammys yeah. and you were like, Troy, why didn't you tell me you were there? You, you know I'm on the board. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm putting the publishing thing together. Yeah. I'm putting the music. Well, how did that even come about? Again, we keep on, you know, we can't talk about relationships enough. I remember being at Essence about eight years ago. Um, and ironically, I haven't been back since, but I had met the then executive director of the Los Angeles chapter of the Recording Academy. Kelly Purcell, shout out. To Kelly, I love you. Um, she, I met her when I was what they call a baby attorney. They call us that your first few years of practicing, just pounding the pavement, um, broke, just going in rooms, not having the money really, but like, if I could fly in and figure this out and do all that. And I met her this panel and she was like, I like you. So like, let's stay in touch. And I've been doing a little work with musicians, but nothing that caught anybody's attention. And she's like, I want to nominate you for the Grammys. And I've done some work. I'd like to say this, you all. I think it was the first time, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think I got in the first time because they really dig deep to be like, who are you working with and all that. So it was the second time I came back, I think a few months later to ask people to apply. And I did. And I got on as a member. I've been a member for almost nine years now. And then they watched that kind of stuff. So one of my peers in Atlanta um, saw me and nominated me to, um, you know, I like to mind my business. Y'all know that. <laughs> um, and he was like, you're the type of person that needs to speak about like what the music industry should look like. And everybody knows I'm vocal. I've always been like, hey, what about the continent in any room I'm in? Imagine saying this for eight years. Hey, what about the music there? Mm -hmm. So thank God, or a lot of conversations people have had. I don't know if you all have heard, there's a new category, for, yeah, you know? Recently. These are years of conversations, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's years, those kinds of things. You just are being a voice in the room for, we all have things that are important to us. For me, everybody would, if they hear my name, they know synonymous with like, oh, she's gonna talk about a continent. So that's how I, I think I got on some people's radar. And then just, I've been able to meet some really, really cool people through that. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's our ticket to the Grammys, y'all. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure. What, what do you want to make the people aware of or how can they contact you and anything that you want to leave the audience with? Oh, uh, um, I would like to say, if you want to contact me, my um, on IG, I'm at Amy O said so. So that's A-M-Y-O-S-A-I-D-S-O. Um, that's if you want to see what's going on. I like to give little tips about, you know, it's intellectual property, different things for just newer artists. And then um, thank you. I'm just grateful for you all continuing to bet on me and going, we're going on such a phenomenal ride together. And 
uh, I think it's important to say like, do what you love because I feel like it shows up. And mm. I'm doing what I'm lo loving and I'm blessed that it's literally taking me all over this world. So people, a lot of people told me I can't do something. I can't show up like everything from intentionally looking the way I do, right? Wearing cornrows and as a black woman, like, cause I remember being in the room and feeling like I had to sort of, you know, uh, compromise the look, but like show up the way you need to do the work you need to so you can do the things, you know, you want to do later. I just feel like that's important specifically for black women because we feel like, you know, like who sees us in the room. So thank you all for betting on a black woman. Absolutely. Thank you for being on Absolutely. this journey. So you are, you, just the last thing for me, it was um, when I do reach out, a lot of times you are on the continent mm -hmm. and you said that the public companies there, there's some real estate. There. Are there other things that you're looking at that, that makes you spend so much time there? It's it's peace. I'll be honest with you. There there is a level, and you all been to the continent. So yeah. you feel there's a level of creativity and clarity. I tell people that I get on the continent. I don't get anywhere else on earth. Um, so just tapping into that, Troy. To be honest with you, like uh, just tapping into like what is making you happy and what is showing. That's the season I am in my life. Um, it's doing that and knowing that you know COVID really showed us you can really work from anywhere on earth. Mm. Like thank God we survived that. So it's just, I'm honoring that. And I didn't get to grow up in Nigeria. So now that I'm older, I feel that like my, my soul is like yearning to be there more. So like that's, I'm just, I'm just honoring that. The prophecies <laughs> fulfilled. You missed this story when we were choosing her albums. Uh, she initially was going to put Victory Lap. Yep. I said, why Victory Lap? You, you want to tell, tell them what? Yes, because literally six weeks before Nip was killed, I had the pleasure of having a lovely conversation. I'll never forget with Nipsey Hussle. It was at the Peppermint Club and my um, childhood friend, who's also from North Carolina, um, DJ Jones, shout out to Daniel. He's co-styled Nip with um, Groovy Lou. So the world, you see how your worlds come together. So again, I like to say I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina. People are like, what? Like, and then who's to tell you can be anywhere? Like I was told a lot of times, like, mm, you're from a smaller town. Like you're not going to do that. So that kind of story has had me in rooms like that. Jay was in a room. It was different. How, how was the combo when that? Oh, one of my favorite experiences in my life, period. Two minutes. I'll never forget. I, I was telling Troy, he's a gentle giant. And he, I just remember him being so happy about like, He'd always been dope, but he was, um, that was the year he was nominated for Grammy, um, his Grammys. And he was just excited about it. And then he went and performed, did a private show, and everybody unfortunately knows what happened, literally. That was in February. Um, and, he, and he was killed March 31st. I remember exactly where I was when it happened. So it was, um, yeah, that was, that was literally bar none, one of my favorite moments in entertainment. So like to see what they're doing with the brand and how they're keeping it alive, God bless them. But like that man, um, left his mark he he was he's done great things in death but he was bound to like y'all know <laughs> like y'all 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 know what he's done mm -hmm. so that is easy even if i'm thinking about it one of my favorite memories like yeah <laughs> sure rest in peace to nip yeah <laughs> yes all right guys thank you guys for rocking with us we'll see you next week peace peace, peace. the enhanced american express business gold card is designed to take your business further it's packed with features and benefits like flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business, 24-7 support from a business card specialist trained to help with your business needs, and so much more. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.